You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome to the prologue on America's Web Radio, a weekly program bringing you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with. Now, my name is Doug Dahlgren, and I'll be your host for the next hour. I'm an author myself, and you can find my work on Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, all the online sites, and you can also visit my personal website, www.dougdahlgren.com. Now, we call this show The Prologue because that's exactly what it is. And while those that we introduce here are mainly writers, we love to bring you interesting people with a good story to tell from other fields and other endeavors as well. So now, if you have a pen or a pencil handy, I want you to grab it and keep it close because I'm going to give you some contact information in just a second. Plus, there's going to be information about our guest and his book that you're going to want to make note of as well. So, if everybody's ready with their pen, if you or someone you know has a book or that interesting story that just simply has to be told, I want you to reach out to me through email, and there's two ways to do that, Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDahlgren.com. I'd love to speak with you about being on a future program. So, our guest today brings us a look into the future. And not simply through speculation, but through education and experience in the fields that will eventually take us there. His novel, his novel offers characters that you will relate to, even though their world is quite unfamiliar to us. The struggles and scenarios they deal with might well remind you of situations that we have today. Before I bring him on, I want to take just a minute and recognize a couple of groups of listeners that we're very, very proud to have here on the Prologue and America's Web Radio. First of all, our folks serving in the armed forces of this country all around the world, those working hard to keep us safe here back home. We often take what they do for granted, and folks, freedom is not free. It's bought and paid for daily by the men and women in those uniforms. We want to thank each of them for what they do. And the other group I want to mention is our first responders who are here at home, those police, fire, and the EMT personnel who rush to our aid when we get our behinds in trouble. They're there for us. We don't know their names. They don't know ours, but yet they respond. I thank each of them for being there and for what they do. Now, our featured book carries us into a time of turmoil. It's a presidential election year type atmosphere where fear-mongering and threats of annihilation are used by parties who are seeking power. Sound familiar yet? Our protagonist is a female fighter pilot, an ace, or a top gun if you prefer, in a time where her craft or her ship is not bound to the earth. It is literally a starfighter. The author is Greg Spry. The novel is Beyond Cloud Nine, and this is your prologue. Brooke Davis has a goal, a lofty one. She works to become the first pilot to exceed the speed of light. Being this well-known ace starfighter pilot, she obviously is pursued by groups who seek her to use her influence to promote their conspiracies. Their stated goals are admirable, but they require actions that are not. Deceptions are key in the promise of a utopian lifestyle 
is very difficult for some to resist. Now, Brooke must decide to risk achieving her personal goal in order to save civilization. The title, again, is Beyond Cloud Nine. The author, Greg Spry, is with us. Good morning, Greg. How are you? And welcome to the prologue. Hey, Doug. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. We're proud to have you. Now, Beyond Cloud Nine, that's kind of a mystical-sounding title. How does that relate to the storyline? Sure. So actually, yeah, there's a, a bunch of, uh, I guess, subtle um, meaning behind um, behind the title. Um, I first came up with it, uh, I think I had heard um, that pi- fighter pilots actually experience uh, that feeling of euphor- euphoria. Maybe I should first start out with the definition of uh, Beyond Cloud Nine where it's, uh, you know, it's just a very euphoric feeling or, or being very happy, which is kind of then ironic uh, about the, the, the plot and how the story goes, because it's anything but a, a happy-go-lucky type of story with uh, a main protagonist with a, a bad attitude. Um, but, yeah, so it's, uh, it's Beyond Cloud Nine, and it's, um, so it first deals with that uh, feeling of uh, euphoria, euphoria that pilots sometimes experience when they're pushing those Gs and they're getting, getting close to, to blacking out, um, so that's the first place I uh, kind of got the idea for the title from. And then there's some other other uh, subtleties too. Again, what I was saying, where um, it's kind of uh, in irony in the title, because or you know towards the the plot of the story, because again it, it deals with a lot of that conspiracy and kind of a dark dark time uh, in the future where society's coming toward, towards a head. Uh, the UN has just become a more of a world government, and there are some people who aren't so happy about that. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's just kind of uh, some uh, kind of over the ironies in the plot. Yep, exactly. Okay. Now, would you say that the genre for this novel is just pure science fiction, or is there something more to it? Sure, yeah. Science fiction is definitely the, the overarching uh, main uh, top-level genre. But it's a, it's a space opera, I would uh, call it, first and foremost. Then it has some other elements like hard science fiction. So hard science fiction meaning um, it's really uh, grounded in a far foundation of uh, scientific principles, so we try to make it seem as plausible you know, as possible. Yeah. And, again, based on uh, real science, real, you know, take into account the, the realities of real space travel, you know, microgravity, and, um, you know, muscle atrophy in space and so forth. So it has those elements. And then there are, there are elements of uh, other genres, too, you know, alien invasion, uh, military science fiction, uh, cyberpunk dystopian, and uh, those types of genres. I like the use of the word uh, plausibility. Uh, a lot of fiction today is fantasy, and science fiction primarily can go that way. But uh, I write fiction. I like to call it plausible fiction. And I like to hear that you're doing the uh, what you're calling hard science fiction. That's the first time I've heard that. But what you mean by that is it's also plausible based on education and fact. So that's pretty cool. Yep. All right. Exactly. Now, you choose a female fighter pilot as your protagonist, the heroine of this whole story. Tell us about her and her personality, would you? Sure. Well, she, uh, I guess she, she started out having a, a happy uh, childhood. You know, she grew up, and her, her father took her uh, flying, actually, uh, you know, soaring over the, the Colorado Rockies. And uh, 
so yeah, she had a pretty happy childhood, but then an incident happens where he gives her the controls, and then, um, you know, tragedy strikes. And then from that moment forward, she, she kinda, she's a character that kind of internalizes things and feels very uh, guilty for, for what happened. And so um, she takes that guilt with her, and that, that changes her life from about age 10 forward, where she just pushes people away and uh, has a very, just, just a very bad attitude, uh, kind of poor outlook on life. And then she, you know, she takes that guilt, and the only thing, because her father dreamed of, uh, you know, space exploration, of traveling to other worlds, and so that's kind of what she just chooses to focus on and, and consumes her, is just pursuing that, that dream of becoming the uh, first pilot to fly faster than light, and uh, nothing else kind of matters. So she starts out very selfishly, and then the story becomes, uh, as much as, as anything, her journey as to, you know, learn what's important to her, uh, and maybe um, her, you know, go beyond just her selfish desires as well. So she's kind of driven. The, the tragedy early in life has caused her to be a little bit standoffish, but at the same time, she's driven to excel at this particular goal. Do I have that right? Right. That's exactly correct. All right. Now, we mentioned that, of course, her main primary goal is that she wants to be the first person to fly at the speed of light. And, of course, like it was prior to all the fellows that sought to go faster than the speed of sound, there are uh, scary things out there. People don't know exactly what's going to happen. Uh, is that a part of the story? Are they assured that just exceeding the speed of light is just going to be another great step, or do they know what might happen to the human body when they do that? Yeah. Oh, that's an excellent question. So, yeah, you bring up a, a good point about I think it was uh, when they were pushing the sound barrier, they weren't sure if people, you know, could even handle it, if their, their you know, face was going to fly off or, or whatever. So, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting question. Um, it definitely is like there's lots of research and studies and understanding done, and they actually do. Well, they start with communications, right? So they do faster than light communications at first. So they have a little bit of an idea. And then when they actually start being able to send um, actual matter, physical objects, um, through wormholes, you know, from one point to another, then um, then they get a little bit more. They actually do the same thing that the, that the early our real space programs did, is they, they send uh, animals through to get an idea of the, the effects to make sure that, hey, you know, they survive. Um, there's a, a monkey who comes out, you know, and he comes out the other end just, just fine. But then, uh, yeah, and then when Brooke finally, um, you know, when it finally happens, um, she experiences, and it, it's quite a trip. And there's a whole chapter in the book on, on the experience and the, the, the trippiness that <laughs> she experiences. <laughs> sure. Um, now, this is, this is quite a goal. Uh, for anybody, but of course, this is what her concentration is on. Is is she zeroed in on that, or does she have other goals for herself besides just capturing the speed of light? Um, that's definitely the, the her first goal. Yeah, is being accepted to the UN project on luminosity, so she can actually be entered into the competition just to then compete for the chance to be the first pilot. Um, but her other goals are, um, you know, she just still wants to be the best. Uh, regular fighter pilot she can be, and she's involved in the, uh, I guess, in the, she's a U.N. fighter pilot stationed out near Jupiter, and she flies against, uh, the, you know, these separatist fighters that, um, you know, kind of make ambushes. They ambush the, 
the uh, the aerostats, the, the particle collectors in the in the atmosphere, you know, trying to take out the, the source of power. And so she goes after them, and it's it's important to her to uh, to do well at her job. Not only does that performance, you know, make her an attractive candidate for the for the faster than light program, um, but uh, but yeah, just just as a point of uh, personal pride as well. These adversaries are they of this earth, or are we dealing with extraterrestrials? Uh, well, the, uh, the adversaries start out just being um, separatists, kind of who aren't happy with uh, the UN becoming more and more of a, a whole solar system-wide uh, government. So they're they're uh, revolting, and uh, the separatists are are groups, or their whole uh, you know colonies in space, or real whole countries on the Earth, and they're they're not too happy. Um, so she flies against them at first, but then there's an incident that happens early on in the book where you're where this uh, much much more advanced um, fighter plane kind of shows up, or I should say starfighter that shows up that just you know no, nobody can can tackle, and she goes head to head with it. And so there's a question of okay, well if we if I'm Brooke and I'm a member a UN fighter pilot and we have the most advanced ships anybody knows about, then where did this way more advanced ship come from, and then that starts the question of, you know, who else are we dealing with? Okay. Folks, we're here this morning on the prologue. We're talking with Greg Spry. Greg is an author. He has uh, a series that he's working on. The first in that series is Beyond Cloud Nine, and we're going to be back with more from Greg and find out where you can order this book for yourself right after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. You're listening to the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're excited this morning. We've got a terrific guest from Wisconsin who is with us this morning. Author Greg Spry is bringing us his book, 
beyond cloud nine. Uh, Greg, we talked a little bit about, uh, we call this a hard science fiction novel. Tell the folks a little bit more about it and where they can order this book or just find out more about you and your work. Sure. Um, yep, so Beyond Cloud Nine, it's a space opera, you know, science fiction, or like you said, hard science fiction. Uh, you can find it on uh, Amazon. That's the easiest thing to do. Just go right to Amazon and either search for my name, Greg Spry, S-P-R-Y, or search for the title of the book, Beyond Cloud Nine. And when you search for Beyond Cloud Nine, make sure you type out the name uh, or the word nine, N-I-N-E, as opposed to the number nine. That tends to find it a little bit easier. Uh, but you can find it, yes, Amazon's the number one place. You can go also on to uh, Goodreads. That's a community for uh, for readers to talk about books. And you can find both of my books uh, that are currently published on there with some a uh, little bit different set of reviews than on Amazon. And I do giveaways on Goodreads. So you can enter there on Goodreads to, to win a free copy of it. Uh, one thing, too, I'm pretty uh, pretty uh, easy to find on on, uh, on the internet, so if you just Google my name, Greg uh, Spry, S-P-R-Y, right in uh, Google, you're sure to find me uh, in on the first page. Um, also, you can check out, I have a number of websites, um, one named right after me, uh, gregspry.com, uh, also one for my book, beyondcloud9.com, with, uh, again, the word nine spelled out, uh, Beyond the Horizon book, that's um, for my second novel, for the sequel to Beyond Cloud Nine, so beyondhorizonbook.com, or for the entire book series, uh, beyondsaga.com. And you can find the books in an uh, ebook format, uh, Kindle, or uh, trade paperback uh, right now. All right, very good. Now, we were talking before the break about your protagonist, and your protagonist in this instance is a female. It is a fighter pilot, a starfighter pilot, and her name is Brooke. Uh, is Brooke patterned after somebody you know? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say she's after anyone I know personally, but she is uh, somewhat modeled after so many of the strong female protagonists that I've uh, seen over the years in uh, so many different shows, movies, books, uh, even video games. Um, so, yeah, she's kind of a, a combination of uh, all sorts of, uh, I guess, different characters. All right. Now, in your mind, it was necessary for this protagonist to be a female. Um, not that you need to explain it, but I'm sure there's curiosity out there. Why did you go that way? Why couldn't it have been a guy fighter pilot? Sure, absolutely. Well, I think, yeah, the story, you know, it could have uh, very easily have been a, a male uh, uh, protagonist. But I think that the female... Uh, protagonist. One of the main reasons I chose it, based on my uh, initial premise, because every every story starts kind of with uh, an initial premise or inspiration. And I was thinking to myself, um, you know, what what would a story like that? Because I've always been interested in in planes and and that sort of things. And you know, I loved the movie Top Gun uh, when I was growing up, and uh, other things. Anything with a with a space fighter plane or fighter planes were were cool to me and interesting. Uh, there's another series I, I grew up uh, watching, an animated series called Robotech that I really loved with uh, fighter planes. And so I just, you know, started thinking to myself, what would, you know, a lot of those those series, they had that that uh, that sort of male fighter jack that we've all seen before, the Tom Cruise, the Maverick, the, the Hot Shot. And I thought to myself, you know, what, 
but the story have a little bit different, uh, you know, flavor with a female uh, in in the cockpit. So and that was I, kind of how my, my premise started and about how the story just might have a little bit different feel and, uh, you know, and that hadn't been done as often, so I decided to go with it. Well, I like that, what you just said. It, it's just putting a little twist on it uh, so it's not looking like something that's been done a thousand times. You've got a female starfighter pilot in here, so that creates more interest plus a whole new set of audience, doesn't it? Exactly. All right. Now, the date of your story, I've got a question about that. You 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 say throughout that the year that this is happening is 2247 CE. Now, if I'm to assume that uh, 2247 is what I think it is, what is the CE stand for? Sure. Well, CE just means current era, and that's the actual, it's becoming more and more popular, I think, in, uh, I guess, more in, uh, what do you want to call it, journalistic writing or in um, scientific articles where you're, you refer to the date as CE, uh, current areas instead of AD. So it's, it really means the same thing. But uh, And there's some, I don't know all the details, but it's, there's something with it resolving some uh, conflicts um, with uh, some, some sort of dating or something. But, but anyway, it's, it's just the more uh, scientific, secular way to write the date. So um, I decided to to go with that because it seemed like in the future too maybe that's what they would uh, they would uh, be going with more and more. So is that a projection that in the future we'll be more secular than we are today? Uh, it's possible. I, I think there, there will always be uh, uh, beliefs around, um, uh, but uh, I think if it's as it being a, a, a story based in in uh, scientific principles and uh, you know that kind of stuff driving the foundation of, of society it, it could go that way but but who knows not necessarily though um, so we're roughly talking about 231 years into the future how besides that how has mankind changed uh, from the writer's perspective if at all in that time well yeah that's another interesting question because I think one of the one of the foundations or one of the things I was going from for the future, is I was trying to dispel the notion, like there's when, when all of us think of the future in science fiction, I think there are some general ideas, like maybe um, everything everything is going to be more advanced, uh, technology will be everywhere, and that that may very well be the case. You know, we're all going to be wearing you know one piece uh, outfits that are really shiny. <laughs> so I try to uh, try to maybe uh, make things a little more uh, down to earth. And actually, I, I'm uh, one of my predictions and. By no means, uh, you know, is it a certainty, but that society will, may just as easily chug along just as it is now, and things might be really, really uh, similar to what they are now. So the infrastructure just might be a lot bigger. There might be a lot more people, but things might be similar. So, you know, now every, we we might think, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have flying cars? I really question whether that's actually ever going to be given to the average citizen, because if you think of you know, millions and billions of flying cars over the place. You know, it's accidents and the roads are dangerous enough as it is now. So, so I question, even though it's a cool concept, I question whether or not it, it will will happen. Uh, so, in the book, is actually a scene where where uh, Brooke is driving with her sister Marie uh, in in the uh, on the Chicago freeway, and the thing is multi-tiered, and it's the, the, the freeway is now like a, a multi-leveled parking ramp with, with levels and cars above and below you driving all around. 
So it's kind of like that, the same infrastructure, but it's just become so much uh, bigger. And they're looking uh, left and right, and they're seeing gas stations that um, supply everything. You know, oh, you can charge your car, you can use uh, liquid uh, hydrogen, you can, you know, all these different uh, options for fueling your car. You know, there's there's petroleum still available. We're not just going to necessarily completely move beyond that. Um, so I think the future brings a lot of diversity, but it's, it's possible that it could, uh, at least for the time being right now, just continue on and just be a, a bigger version of, of how we're living uh, today. Well, now you're the one, and we're going to go into this a little deeper uh, in the interview here, but you have the education and the practical experience to know more about projecting these things than I do, certainly. But you bring up an interesting area I want to go a little deeper with. Uh, flying cars. Today, what you said about the flying automobile is quite true. With the way we drive, that would be a mess up there. It would just be a Herculean catastrophe. But Tesla and other cars are working right now on the autopilot situation for land-based vehicles. Don't you think that really is a step clearing the way towards flying cars? Oh, absolutely, too. If you if you put the... Uh um, yeah, if you put, uh, I guess, machine intelligence in charge of, of vehicles, and if they're the ones driving, then they could be, um, that could definitely make things safer, you know, less less likely somebody's going to pull, you know, or just do a random thing, fall asleep at the wheel, you know, and, and crash into a, a whole other row of flying cars below or above you or, or, or anywhere. Um, but at the same time, one of the reasons we don't have... Um, or at least we're working towards the uh, the automated um, self-propelled cars today. One of the reasons it still hasn't caught on is people still don't quite trust it yet. So it just makes you wonder too. Or um, the other thing, where where when um, they say that when when an accident happens, right? There's no uh, you know the machine can't think for itself. So things could be worse, right? Like accidents would ultimately happen less often, but uh, when they do happen, they're a lot worse. But I definitely think you're correct that 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 could be more helpful in allowing the uh, flying car situation. Well, we've got 230 years, right? Yep, exactly. A lot can happen in men, and I'm sure more more than more than most of uh, my production or predictions in my book will probably not be exactly correct. Yep, yep. That's about as far as we are now from crossing the Delaware. So, a lot can happen. Uh, What has changed in your future? with the political system and structure. You mentioned that Brooke works for the UN. Uh, what is politics? Uh, how does it look in your year of 2247? Sure. So it's, uh, again, it's, it's not too different than today, except that the UN has become more and more uh, influ- influential. So, um, so these countries, it's almost like, um, our countries, like you know, the United States of America and other countries, have become—I uh, use the term nation states—where they've become almost like a state of a larger, rather than a country, uh, a state of a larger um, institution. And then the uh, the members of the UN have more, um, I guess, more and more power. And there's actually the, uh, the UN Secretary General is operating more like a prime minister or or a president, and, and she actually. Uh, the uh, UN Secretary General is trying to drive uh, change. She's trying to uh, initiate a One Humanity objective. It's kind of a, a democratic slash socialist um, agenda where she's really trying 
um, to, to do things. He's trying to implement things like revitalization uh, centers to, to help uh, the less fortunate erect those all over the, the world in the solar system. And she's trying to, uh, you know, just basically try to do, you know, work towards that goal of equality and, uh, you know, no poverty, no crime. And she's trying to push that, but then, of course, a lot of these separatists and people don't, don't care for that, so there's a lot of backlash. So we're not going to shake that desire for socialism as we go into the future. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, it, yeah, it's, it's a delicate, uh, <laughs> delicate sort of uh, situation, right? Where we all, you know, we all want the same rights. Any of us want the same rights as anybody else, the same opportunities. Um, and how are you ba- balancing that with still allowing somebody who who built a business, you know, that made lots and lots of money, as opposed to somebody who didn't do anything? Uh, still making sure people get the rewards of their their efforts, but still everybody has uh, equal rights and, and and moving towards a, a system that that everybody can uh, I don't know thrive in I guess. Folks, we're listening to Greg Spry. He's talking about his futuristic novel, a hard science fiction space opera, Beyond Cloud Nine. And we're going to be back with more from Greg after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four patientcarefoundation.org Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back. This is the prologue on America's Web Radio. We're happy this morning to have Greg Spry with us, coming to us from Madison, Wisconsin. He has a book 
Beyond Cloud Nine. It's the first of a planned four-book series, and we've been talking about his view of the future. We're speaking of the year 2247 current, what, what was it called again now? CE is for, is for what, Greg? Yep, current era, and it's basically the same thing as AD. Okay, so it's it's AD in a secular vernacular. So uh, there's that that brings up a whole series of discussions there, but we won't go that way. Uh, we've been talking about Brooke. Brooke is the protagonist, and she is the starfighter pilot who has a goal of being the first person to fly at the speed of light. Uh, and we've talked about her challenges and things. But there are other characters. Your, your characters are not two-dimensional at all in this story. They are three-dimensional human beings. Tell us about a few of the other characters that you bring forward in this book. Absolutely. Well, then, uh, and I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned that. That's great. One of, my, one of the things I try to do is uh, try to have you know, morally ambiguous agenda versus morally ambiguous agenda. You know, when you can actually relate to, empathize, and really see where the antagonists are come from, coming from, I think that that makes for a, a maybe a more uh, better rounded story. <clears throat> so speaking of that, um, there's a, uh, the UN uh, Security Council president who's kind of become um, kind of like the defense secretary in, in, the, uh, in the future, I guess, UN. He is actually um, kind of has his own alternate agenda. He's in a position of power, but he's trying to uh, forward in a, an alternate agenda, sort of uh, use some manipulation to, to make things go his way. But as you learn wh- uh, what he's trying to do, um, you find out that, okay, well, maybe the methods are, are suspect, but what he's trying to accomplish is actually a, potentially a, a good thing for society. And it becomes uh, the quandary is one of those, you know, do the ends justify uh, the means? You know, ignorance is bliss. If uh, if he ushers in, you know, uh, great, you know, great things for everyone, is that okay? If, um, you know, if... Uh, if the methods, you know, aren't aren't so hot, you know, if uh, multiple people die, you know, if a thousand thousands of people die, but it benefits billions, is that justified? And that's not a, you know, not an easy question to answer. Oh no, ends justify the means is everywhere, and it, it's it really never justifies. It just really doesn't. Um, I'm walking up to you at a book signing. Give me the 90 second sales pitch on why I should buy Beyond the Cloud, Beyond Cloud Nine. Excuse me. Well, I hope it's a it's smart science fiction that I hope it, it not only, you know, the main goal is to entertain, but I hope that it, it leaves you with something a little bit more. You know, at the end, you're like, wow, that was an exciting story, but then you're still thinking about some of the things and uh, how it applies uh, to your life. And then uh, the log line or the pitch is that it's about, uh, the, you know, first fighter pilot looking to um, be the first to fly faster than light and the conspiracy and, and all the, the things that get, in her way, and so it's exciting. It's uh, you know, you know, space combat, but at the same time, she's fighting. Almost, you find out, kind of fighting for the for the moral foundation of society. So it's uh, yeah. Hopefully, it leaves you with more. It sounds exciting, and I hope people have got their pens and pencils up and making notes of how to get to it. Now, the science and the technology. We've already stated that what you use in this story. While they're futuristic, they're based on your education and your actual experience working in the field of space technology. Tell us about your degrees and uh, what you do. 
Sure. Well, uh, my degree is uh, from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. I have an industrial engineering degree. And then um, I attended, a few years later, attended the Florida Institute of Technology in the area of uh, space systems. But then, actually, I'm an IT, kind of a computer guy by trade uh, during the day. So I guess I have a, a well-rounded technical uh, sort of background uh, to be able to understand these uh, sorts of concepts and, um, you know, and build off of them in a story. Okay. You have a character who is in there. You didn't mention him yourself, so I'm going to ask you about him. But he's an artificial intelligence. His, his name is Bob. And Bob is known for saying ma'am quite a bit. Now, why is that? Why does Bob say ma'am all the time? Yes, so Bob, a lot of readers love Bob. He's kind of, uh, you know, you know, it seems like every other sci-fi story has that uh, machine, lovable machine intelligence that, uh, you know, comes to be self-aware. He's, he's definitely that. Um, and, yeah, so he... Um, he says, ma'am, because he is originally Brooks' uh, support uh, AI. So he assists her in the cockpit, you know, uh, doing a tactical assessment and takes care of a lot of the, the, the mundanities of, uh, you know, automatically flying the fighter. And so he's programmed, too. He's also, you know, um, a military AI, and he's programmed just to say, you know, yes, sir, just like any, any soldier would. So she calls her, you know, she's a female, so he says, ma'am, all the time. And so he says it. Um, especially in the first book, he says it uh, every single time at the end of, every, you know, somewhere when he's speaking in every single uh, bit of dialogue, he says, ma'am, at the end or somewhere in there, because it's in his programming to, to address, you know, a superior officer, uh, just like a regular soldier would. Now, where does he exist? Is this a physical thing like R2-D2, or is he just in, in the uh, software that speaks from different locations? He's, he's primarily um, software, so he he can be downloaded into her fighter or uploaded into uh, you know the mainframe on a base, or he can um, you know if there's enough memory and bandwidth elsewhere, he can he can go out onto the onto the internet, which uh, may or may not happen. <laughs> okay, so he's really basically a program, not a a physical thing that follows her around and beeps. Yes. Okay. All right. Now. There's an underlying theme. You've hinted at it several times, but go ahead and, and talk for a minute about the underlying theme to this book. I think that's very important to stress that again. Sure. Well, the main uh, theme I like to ask, uh, the question that the story asks is, would you rather be um, happy living a lie or, or be miserable knowing the truth? And that comes back to that, you know, Gideon's justified the means, ignorance is bliss, um, if you're, if your ends, if you're looking to, is it okay, right? If you're looking to create maybe um, a utopia, and they actually, um, the catchphrase for the book is utopia by deception. So, if uh, is it okay to improve society if um, by using deception and lies, lying to people, manipulating society, um, is that okay? If everything ends up all rosy in the end, and it's Again, it's not uh, an easy question, so it's left up to the reader um, to decide for themselves, hey, do, we, do I side with, with these antagonists who are trying to, you know, do the world a favor that they think, or at least is a favor, um, even though they might be uh, using surreptitious means, or um, would I rather you know, live in the truth? Would I always want to know what's going on, and even if society 
is crumbling down around me, is it more important for me to maintain my ethics and my principles and, and know the truth? So it's, a, it's an interesting question. It really is. I don't know how society can make the right determination if they don't have the truth, uh, the facts in front of them. There's, it's just impossible to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, somewhat we're experiencing that today. Uh, it's, it's a strange but true fact that when folks are offered opportunity uh, or a guaranteed security, most of them will take the security, uh, even if that means a loss of freedom. And that's, that's kind of a detrimental thing that our society is going towards. Uh, you don't have to answer. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's a, it's a time period independent question. I think it's, it's applied all throughout uh, human history. So it's not just unique to, to uh, you know, the future in my, in my story. It's, it, it applies at any time, which is why it's, uh, you know, maybe a more powerful theme. Oh, yeah. I still like the catchphrase, though, utopia by deception. That'd make a bumper sticker, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, funny if I put that in the back of my car. I'd probably get a lot of people going, what, what the heck does that mean? Yeah, especially in Wisconsin. <laughs> anyway, let's go back to your research. The settings for this story are vast. I mean, you're all over the, the, the known universe, really. And I take it that the problem with going from one planet to the other, the wormholes and everything, that's been solved. So it's not going to take 42 years to get somewhere. But how did you research all this? What, what method did you use to come up with the design for this world that you described? Yeah, so I used uh, lots of research, and really it starts just with my, my general science fiction fandom. I've been a, a sci-fi fan my entire life, and so I've watched um, watched and read and, and seen and, and played all sorts of things that uh, use, you know, very, very similar concepts. You know, I want to make sure that I, I admit that even though I, I try to try to tweak things in my story so they, they sound like my unique ideas, a lot of these concepts are really time-honored and and, um, you know, true science fiction concepts that have been around for, for quite some time. The, there's two, you know, fundamental ways of traveling faster than life, you know, the Star Trek warp drive or the more of the Star Wars hyperspace wormhole uh, travel, and I use uh, the latter uh, in my book. And then, yeah, just some of the, some of the worlds, uh, the settings around the solar system. Um, I do my research, and I've watched lots of documentaries, uh, I think, through, you know, through the wormhole, Morgan Freeman, uh, Sci-Fi Science, and, and a bunch of other stuff on Discovery Channel, History Channel, and then I just you know do my research um, in the you know in modern times it's really you have all this information at your fingertips you know just go online do a search you know and I try to uh, whatever I find on Wikipedia I try to verify with the actual sources the journal journal entries so I I make sure it's it's solid information. And yeah, and also for me too, it just starts with a, a passion. Like this, these are things that I find fascinating myself. So it doesn't really seem like a lot of hard work in, in research, even though you know it can be sometimes. Oh yeah, uh, but so it's not just but, sitting there uh, fantasizing about this. You actually put the hours into you know, what what is this going to be like? Yep, exactly. And that's that's one thing. Um, probably one of the big sources of my writing for me is just. Real possibilities for the future are what get me excited. The fact that this could maybe happen, or that that this is uh, really out there, like ending up on the surface of Titan, a uh, uh, moon of Saturn, and the fact that it is Earth-like. It is, but it isn't Earth-like. You know, it's got a thick, thick atmosphere, clouds, 
called the, the rivers, and the, the liquid is actually liquid methane or ethane, and that runs uh, through, and then a lot of the mountains and the terrain is, is solid ice and water. So it's like it looks similar to Earth, but it's all because the temperature is so much lower, everything is like the actual elements and everything in place is actually very different. So it's just, I don't know, it's fascinating. The book is Beyond Cloud Nine. The author is Greg Spry, and we're going to be back with more after these messages. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back with Greg Spry. The book is Beyond Cloud Nine. The website is www.gregspride.com. want you to go there when the show's over. Check it out. Check Amazon.com. The book and the other books that are available are all available for you in ebook, uh, Kindle, and also in trade paperback, which is the basic 6x9 that we all love. Uh, talking about the, the covers uh, Greg, I want to ask you, the cover is, is graphic, uh, and it has a touch of an anime feel to it. Who designed that to you, and am I right with my perception? Yep, you are exactly correct. So I am actually kind of, uh, I've been a long-time anime fan, especially some of the more, um, you know, space, space, uh, space stuff and, and more um, uh, adult stuff, and definitely, um, so yeah, so actually what I asked from the designers are the, so the overall cover designer, his name is uh, Tobias, and uh, he actually works for uh, his own company um, in Germany. It's a gtgraphics.de, so he's the overall cover, uh, cover designer that did a lot of the, uh, the graphics that put, put the whole cover together. Then uh, Aaron Page, I actually found him right on a site called DeviantArt, which is a great art site, um, finding all sorts of cool, cool stuff on there, cool designs, lots of talented people. And I worked with them, and then another... Uh, Designer too did the did the plane. So really, I used three designers, and I kind of ran um, the project for the for the cover design, just like I often do at work, where I'm almost playing a you know project manager and, and managing everybody, telling them, giving giving them a kind of a, a spec document, and making sure they know exactly what my vision is and what I wanted to see, and then working with them uh, to make it happen. 
and uh, yeah, it turned out turned out pretty uh, pretty well. I was pretty happy with it. Very good. Now this is book one of uh, your series. You're going to call the Beyond Saga. How many will be in the total series? Uh, the four four books. So you call it a tetralogy or quadrilogy, whatever your favorite term is. Series works for me. Sure. That's easy. <laughs> That's easier. Yes. Now, where are you, you now? Know. Are you working on book two? Uh, no, book two has been published. Uh, it's okay. Beyond the Horizon. It's out there. So if you look for me on Amazon, you find both Beyond Cloud Nine and Beyond the Horizon. And right now, I'm getting close to done with the first draft of book three. So I'm working on that, and I hope to have that released. Right now, um, it's all subject to change because I don't have uh, editing and everything locked in yet. But uh, sometime in the second quarter of 2017, I'm hoping. Well, let's talk about your process a minute. You're working on book three now. Uh, who do you use as your editors? Uh, you are self-published. I'm self-published. There's a, a lot of us are doing that. Who do you use to edit uh, for content and also for grammar and such when you're doing your work? Yeah, well, I've used uh, a couple different editors, uh, again, on, on two books. Uh, the first editor, I was really, really lucky. Uh, there was a, a site, I forget the exact name, the, the Association of Editors. So I went looking on there, looking for someone who had the right type of um, background, uh, you know, in science fiction and uh, so on and so forth. And I found someone who now, uh, you know, this editor works for Publishers Weekly, so I got really, really lucky, uh, you know, uh, this person was doing uh, uh, editing freelance beforehand, but now Publishers Weekly, so, and uh, <clears throat> the editor really, really knew, um, really knew her stuff, and uh, I came so far uh, in such a short time um, I've actually been doing a lot of research and work. I waited 10 years uh, to publish book one, um, you know, just to make sure, you know, I was doing learning, members of lots of critique groups, which I, I highly recommend that other authors get involved in critique groups. Um, but, yeah, I uh, I got really lucky and then, um, yeah, it became leaps and bounds. So I recommend working with a professional editor, too, even though it might cost a little bit more. Uh, if you find the right person, then and it really benefits your writing. Absolutely. Now, how about your schedule? Are you regimented? Do you have a particular time of day and a number of hours or maybe so many words per day that you want to knock out? Yeah, my, my, my process is pretty regimented. You know, I start with inspiration, brainstorming, outlining, research, then I write, uh, and then there's the editing process. I don't necessarily say to myself, I need to get an hour or two hours or three hours a day, because I'm pretty good at just being naturally motivated, so I don't worry too, too much about that. Um, but I do have a structured process um, that I kind of kind of work by. How about your personal philosophy towards writing? Is there anything about the content that you're particularly adept to? Yeah, I mean, I try to keep things uh, fast-paced. Um, I've been told that I write action really well, and it is a very actionist uh, story, my, my book's. Page turners. Uh, yes, exactly. Even though I, I haven't really set out to write action, but I like a lot of stuff to happen. Um, I try not to do what's what's called info dumping, where um, the author might just sit there and explain something or, or leave a character sitting around just kind of pondering their circumstances, and, and some of that's necessary, but I try to keep, keep things moving along, um, just like you said, page turner. Very good. Now, being self-published, do you see that as an advantage or 
are there a particular set of challenges to you as a bookseller? Yeah, there's there's definite um, challenges. There are pros and cons to anything, but the challenge is definitely in in promotion and marketing. I've been trying a lot of different methods to to sell books, and some some are effective, but um, I'm still in that I have this uh, sort of three tiered uh, phased approach for myself. Three three different goals or milestones that I want to accomplish. You know, my first one was to publish, accomplish that, and then my second one is I'm still working on is I just want my writing to uh, pay for itself, and, and it hasn't quite gotten there uh, yet, but still working on it, and I think, uh, I think I've learned, I'm learning as an author that both quantity and quality are both important, you know, because each book is an, an opportunity to, to market and, and sell the other one, uh, but, uh, but you have to have a good book. Each book needs to be good, so people actually want to read it, say good things about it, tell their friends about it, uh, but then you probably need many, I need more than, than two books. I think if I actually want to accomplish the third goal, and that's actually, um, you know, sort of give up the day job and go to writing full time, I think I would need uh, many more books. Oh uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm trying a lot of yeah a lot of different promotional services, and I'm just uh, right now I'm in in learning. It's really true uh, what I've heard a lot where um, <clears throat> you, the process of being a successful author it doesn't begin until you actually have a, a, a published one or more published books out there. Um, so there's that whole learning process when you're writing at first and, and, and getting ready to do your, publish your first book, and then this whole new world opens up when you finally get it available, and then then you're going trying to uh, promote it. Are there any other particular challenges that you see uh, for yourself? Oh, gosh. Um, just maybe uh, time, too. Yeah, still, still working, trying to, you know, writers have to eat, don't they? Yep, exactly. So it's kind of a circular thing. I could probably pump out more books if I had, you know, worked a 40-hour work week uh, in order to write during the day. If that was my full-time job, I could pump out more books, uh, you know, sell more of those that might generate more revenue, and then each book is an opportunity to sell the other one. Um, But uh, then I would have more time, but then... um, yeah, but right now I don't have enough time to produce them quickly. <laughs> well, is there, yeah, it's, uh, is there anything that we've left out this morning? We're getting shy on time here, so we need to wrap it up. But is there anything that we've left out that you really need to bring forward? Oh, gosh. Um, not off the top of my head. I did have a whole uh, list of things, and, and the time is uh, flown by pretty quickly. Um, I do want to say that people can go to, uh, if they go to any of my websites, you know, gregspry.com, you can sign up for my mailing list. Um, and that's actually through there. You have, have an opportunity to read. Um, I give my, my member mailing list uh, the first crack at reading the book when it first comes out. So if you've heard of uh, ARC's Advanced Review Copies, then they get to be the first um, to read them. So if you're, if you're interested, take advantage of that. All right. Um, any shout-outs to anybody, any of your reviewers or your indie sites oh, yes. or the critique groups? Yes, thank you. Um, yep, I do definitely want to thank all of the all the indie sites out there, those who, who support uh, self-published uh, authors and indie, indie authors. Um, so many people out there, reviewers, who, who are specifically saying, okay, I'm going to read self-published books um, that maybe um, – 
others, you know, might might pass on because they don't have enough reviews or anything. Or, um, you know, a lot of these these reviewers who are, who are very gracious, and I want to thank them, and I want to thank every every uh, person who leaves a review because reviews are very very important uh, to authors. You know, we spend lots of time and our own money to to write them, so and we really appreciate it when when somebody leaves a review and lets us know whether it's positive or ne- negative. You know, your your opinion matters. Amen to that. Amen indeed. Well, listen, I want to thank you very much for being here this morning. The author we're talking to is Greg Spry. His book that we have concentrated on is Beyond Cloud Nine. It's first of a series, uh, Beyond Saga, or the series The Beyond Saga, and we hope that you'll look it up. You can go to his website at gregspry.com, or you can find him at gregspry on amazon.com. Greg, it's been a real pleasure, sir. Enjoyed having you here. Thanks so much for being a guest this hour. Yeah, thanks a lot, Doug. I really appreciate you having me. And listeners, the ball is in your court. I want you to look him up on Amazon, get that book ordered, and start enjoying this great work. And please, tell all your friends about the show and how they can listen to the free podcast by simply clicking on the links at America's Web Radio. So if you or a future guest want to be on the prologue, please send me an email at Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com or Doug at DougDalvin.com. Tell your friends, contact me, and we'll talk about having them on. So now, folks, that's it for this hour. Again, thanks to my guest, Greg Spry. So for myself and he, my name's Doug Dahlgren. I want to say be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not one of Greg's, maybe you'll pick one of mine. And we'll see you all again in just 100 and 67 hours. Take care now. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.